podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, Two Footed Podcast on Friday, June the 2nd. Hope you're all well. Hope you all have nice plans for the weekend. It is a bank holiday weekend here. And because of the nice weather I'm celebrating, I'm taking Monday and Tuesday off. So after today, I will see you on Wednesday of next week. This weekend is a huge weekend in the football calendar. But it should be an even bigger weekend. This weekend is FA Cup final weekend. And in the era of the Champions League, in the era of money, the FA Cup has kind of fallen by the wayside in many ways. You go back to the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the FA Cup final was a massive deal. There'd be a full week of build-up to the final. The competition as a whole meant so much. Like, it wasn't quite as big a thing as winning the league, but it wasn't far off for a long time. There was a real sense that the FA Cup winner was the second best team in the league. Regardless of even if they finished third or fourth or fifth, if they could win the FA Cup, It was held in such prestige back then. To win the double was an amazing achievement, an incredible achievement. Now, we see things like doubles and, you know, cup doubles happen a little bit too often. 
But back then, you know, you remembered the double winning teams. When United won their first double under Ferguson, it was this enormous achievement. When Liverpool had done it previously and Spurs had done it previously and Arsenal had done it, I assume it was the same. And then Arsenal did it under Wenger. Ferguson had done it a second time. Wenger did it. Wenger, I think, did it twice with Arsenal. But it was just this enormous deal. And you were in awe of these teams. The ability to compete on both fronts. The European Cup, the Champions League, it didn't dominate the discourse the way it does now. And you look at this weekend's final and, yeah, there's been some build-up for it and there was some decent things that Neville did on the overlap. But there there isn't the same excitement about it. All the way from third final week, uh, third round weekend. Third round Saturday used to be just the biggest thing in January. Coming out of Christmas, you'd have a couple of league games, but then it was third round Saturday. And the whole day was just dedicated to it. There'd be a couple of games on. BBC would have hours of programming around it. There was real excitement about it. Now it just kind of happens and nobody seems to care anymore. And it's such a shame because I love the FA Cup. I've always loved the FA Cup. I've always loved the FA Cup final. And I was thinking yesterday about the, the finals that I remember best. And the first one I can really remember quite clearly is the 1990 final, which was Manchester United beating Crystal Palace in a replay. The first game I remember better than the actual replay, the 3-3. The following year, Tottenham beat Forrest 2-1. That's the game where Gaza blew up his own knee. That was an amazing day. The entire build-up around it. Spurs, who had a track record in the FA Cup. Brian Clough, who'd never won the FA Cup. It was this great build-up. Everybody knew Gascoigne was leaving. He was going to Lazio. That deal was done. And within minutes, his knee exploded and the game changed. Now, he should have been sent off in that game and it probably would have led to a drastically different outcome. But Spurs would go on to win. Then Liverpool won it in 92. Now, they'd won it twice before in my lifetime, but I was too young to really appreciate anything at all in 86. And I don't I don't remember the game in 89. I've seen it. But I don't remember it happening. Liverpool beat Sunderland 2-0. Michael Thomas scored to, I suppose, ease some of the pain that he'd caused Liverpool fans in 89 with his goal that won Arsenal the title at Anfield. 93, Arsenal beat Sheffield Wednesday in a replay. And Arsenal completed the cup double. The first time that had been done, winning the League Cup and then the FA Cup. And Steve Morrow, who'd been man of the match in the League Cup final, and Tony Adams had put him up on his shoulders and then dropped him and he'd broken his shoulder or dislocated his shoulder and he ended up missing the FA Cup final. And if I'm not mistaken, they beat Sheffield Wednesday in the League Cup final that year as well. 1993... League Cup final. Yes. Yes, he did. The League Cup final that year, and and back then this was how it was done, the League Cup final was in April. So they play the 18th of April in the League Cup final. Arsenal win 2-1. John Hart scores, Paul Merson scores, and Morrow actually scored the winner. Steve Morrow's not a player you'll remember much about if you're not an Arsenal fan, I'd imagine. But I, that moment for him was incredible. In the FA Cup final, which took place less than a month later, the first game ends in a draw. Arsenal win the second. 93-94, United beat Chelsea 4-0 to complete the double. 
1995, Everton beat United. The Paul Rideout goal. The last trophy that Everton have won. 1995. Rideout scored on the half-hour mark, and that was all she wrote. United beat Liverpool in 96. Another double for United. Cantona scores after David James comes and flaps it across. That's the day that the Spice Boys' name was imprinted on Liverpool when they turned up in those ridiculous white suits. Chelsea beat Middlesbrough in 97, 2-0. Di Matteo scores after seconds. Borough lose their second final of the season. They'd gotten to the League Cup final. They lost to, I want to say, Leicester City in a replay. I have memories of Steve Claridge scoring a volley in the replay. Yeah, 1-1 in the first game. Ravinelli had scored an extra time. Heskey scored with two minutes to go. Goes to a replay. Goes to extra time again. And Steve Claridge scored. The replay had to be played at Hillsborough for some reason. Um, I assume because it was midweek, it was a late game, and they didn't want fans having to travel all the way back to down to London. Um, but Borough lose that game. So Borough got to both cup finals, lost both cup finals, and also got relegated that season because they had some sort of illness in the squad and they failed to fulfill a fixture against Blackburn. If they just turned up and gotten walloped, they would have stayed up. Instead, they didn't turn up and they got docked three points. 97-98, Arsenal beat Newcastle 2-0 in the cup final. Arsenal win the double. So, if we go back before that, Preston had won the double in 1889. Villa had won the double in 1897. Nobody else had done it until Spurs did it in 1961. Arsenal did it in 71. Liverpool did it in 86. And now in the 90s, we have United doing it in uh, 94 and 96. And Arsenal doing it in 98. And then in 99, United do it, but they do it as part of a treble. So something that had happened only four times ever in the history of the tournament, in 120 plus years, has now happened four times in one decade. Chelsea beat Villa in the 2000 final. I I don't remember that one. Liverpool beat Arsenal in 2001 as part of a cup treble. They won the League Cup against Birmingham. They beat Arsenal in the FA Cup. A game they got completely outplayed in. Michael Owen scores two goals and Liverpool win. They go on to beat Alaves in the UEFA Cup final and win the treble. Arsenal beat Chelsea 2-0 in 2002 to win the double. So there's another one done. Arsenal win the cup again in 03, beating Southampton. Manchester United beat Millwall in 2004. Millwall got to the final. I think Dennis Wise was the manager. Arsenal beat United on penalties in 05. Liverpool beat West Ham on penalties in 06. The two Liverpool finals, 01 to 06, they bookmarked the era where the FA Cup final was played at the Millennium Stadium after the old Wembley had been knocked and the new one was being built. And frankly, since it's come back to Wembley, it just hasn't meant nearly as much. Now, it means something to some of the clubs that win, because when Portsmouth beat Cardiff, it meant everything to them. Cardiff deserved to lose that game on the grounds of the music video that was made regarding their FA Cup final song. We are the famous Cardiff City and we do the Ayatollah. If you haven't seen it, I promise you it's one of the most dreadful things you'll ever see. You must go look it up on YouTube. Cardiff City, Ayatollah should bring it up for you. Um, Chelsea beat Everton in 09. Chelsea beat Portsmouth 
in 2010. That was Carlo Ancelotti's double. That was also the last time anyone just did the league and FA Cup double. That double has been done since, but again, as part of a treble. Uh, We'll get to that. Man City beat Stoke 1-0 in 2011. Mario Balotelli is man of the match. It's the first silverware for City in a very long time. Chelsea beat Liverpool in 2012. Liverpool were going for the cup double, but fell short. Andy Carroll missed a sitter. People will say it's a great save. I say he missed a sitter. Uh, Wigan beat Manchester City in 2013. Wigan also got relegated that season. That was Roberto Martinez. Uh, That's probably the last big upset we've had in the FA Cup final. Arsenal beat Hull 3-2 in 2014. They beat Villa 4-0 in 2015. Manchester United beat Crystal Palace in 2016. You'll remember that game for Alan Pardew doing a silly dance after Palace went one up. Arsenal beat Chelsea in 2017. Chelsea beat Manchester United in 2018. City beat Watford 6-0 in 2019. That was as part of a domestic treble. The first domestic treble we'd had. Someone winning the Premier League, the FA Cup and the League Cup. But, you know, to throw shade, Liverpool won the Champions League and no one cared about City's treble. Um, Arsenal beat Chelsea in 2020. That was Mikel Arteta's first bit of silverware, well, only bit of silverware so far. Uh, He beat Frank Lampard's Chelsea as Chelsea bottled the final. Leicester beat Chelsea the next year. Thomas Tuchel was in charge. Yuri Thielemann scored a worldie, but Chelsea would go on and win the Champions League, so they didn't really care. And then last year, Liverpool beat Chelsea with penalties. Liverpool had also beaten Chelsea with penalties on in the League Cup finals. Liverpool did that as part of a cup double. So Chelsea prior to this season, had been in five of the previous six FA Cup finals and only won one of them, which isn't great. If we look at results by team, Arsenal have the most FA Cups. They've won 14. They've been in 21 finals. United have been in 20 finals, 12 wins. Chelsea, Liverpool and Tottenham have all won eight FA Cups. The difference here is Chelsea have lost eight finals Liverpool have lost seven. Spurs have only lost one. And Spurs haven't been in an FA Cup final since 1991. And back when Spurs won that FA Cup final in 1991, they were the team with the most wins in the FA Cup. And 32 years later, they haven't won it. They haven't even been back to the final. The only time they lost the final was 1987 when Coventry beat them 3-2. Aston Villa have won seven, but they haven't won it since 1957. They've been in four finals that they lost. Newcastle, Manchester City and Blackburn have all won six. Newcastle haven't won it since 1955. Blackburn haven't won it since 1928. Everton have won five. West Brom have won five. And Wanderers, who no longer exist, won five. Wanderers' last one came in 1978. They dominated the, or sorry, 1878. They dominated the 1870s in the FA Cup, winning five in six years. West Brom's last FA Cup came in 1968. Wolves, Bolton, and Sheffield United have all won it four times. 1960 for Wolves, 58 for Bolton. And 1925 for Sheffield United, the last times they took it home. Sheffield Wednesday and West Ham have three each. 1935 was the last time Sheffield Wednesday won it. 1980 for West Ham. Preston, Old Etonians, Portsmouth, Sunderland, Nottingham Forest and Bury all won two. Preston last won it in 1938. Old Etonians in 1882. They're alumni of Ethan. 
So they're all posh boys. They're never going to win it again, obviously. Uh, but they did win it twice and no one can take that from them. Portsmouth, their last win, obviously, 2008. Sunderland, 1973. Forest, 1959. When you consider what they went on to win under Brian Clough, but never managed to win this. And Bury won it in 1900 and 1903. And obviously Bury went out of business, but have have come back into business and are hopefully going to be um, getting themselves back on track. Then you've got Huddersfield. They won it once, 1922. Leicester have won it once, 2021. Oxford University, 1974. The Royal Engineers, 1975. Derby County, 1946. Leeds United, under Don Revy, 1972. Southampton, 1976. Burnley, 1914. Cardiff, 1927. Blackpool, 1953. Clapham Rovers, 1880. Notts County, 1894. Barnsley, 1912. Charlton Athletic, 1947. Old Cartusians, 1881. Blackburn Olympic, 1883. Bradford City, 1911. Ipswich Town, 1978. Coventry, 1987. Wimbledon, one of the most famous FA Cup finals when Wimbledon beat Liverpool in 1988. And Wigan Athletic in 2013. Um, There are a bunch of clubs who've been to finals and never won. Queen's Park. Birmingham, Crystal Palace and Watford, they've all been in two finals and lost both. Bristol, Luton, Fulham, QPR, Brighton, Middlesbrough, Millwall, Stoke and Hull. All one final appearance, one defeat. So there you go. There's your rundown of the FA Cup finals. The 90s were great for the FA Cup. I've watched all the finals from like the mid 60s onwards. The 80s was probably was probably the era to be around. There was just some great teams that won it. And there was some great finals. 87 and 88 were so different to everything else because in 81 it was Spurs, in 82 it was Tot- uh, Spurs again, 83 it was United in a replay. 84, it was Everton. 85, it was United over Everton. 86, it was Liverpool over Everton. 87, then, you get Coventry over Spurs. 88, Wimbledon over Liverpool. 89, Liverpool over Everton. And then in 90, it was United. So you get United winning it three times, Liverpool winning it twice, Spurs winning it twice. Uh, We should also count West Ham, I suppose. They won it in 80, uh, beating Arsenal. So West Ham, Coventry and Wimbledon as sort of the clubs that weren't among the elite but managed to win it in that decade. Poor old Everton, though. Four finals, only took the cup home once. That's a bit disappointing. But when you watch back and watch footage of, like, the 1965 final, the first time Liverpool managed to win it, it was a huge moment for them. Chelsea won it for the first time in 1970, again beating Leeds. Leeds won it for the first time then in 72, beating Arsenal. Arsenal had won the interim game in 1971, uh, beating Liverpool with one of the great FA Cup final goals from Charlie George. Uh, George Graham scored in that game as well, obviously would go on to be one of the best managers in the league, winning multiple league titles with Arsenal. Just some some great days for fans. And it's a shame that it's just not, not seen the same way anymore. But we do have a final this weekend. It is Manchester United versus Manchester City. I believe it's the first time these sides have met in an FA Cup final. United to get here, beat Everton at home, beat Reading at home, beat Fulham at home, sorry, beat West Ham at home and then beat Fulham at home. They won all of those games 3-1. They beat a bad Everton 
a really bad Reading, a bad West Ham, and they were losing to Fulham until Fulham had two players sent off and United were given a penalty. Then they beat Brighton on penalties in the semi-final. It hasn't been the most impressive run. But United are on for a cup double because they did beat Newcastle in the cup final of the League Cup. And for Ten Hag to win a cup double in his first year, I think he'd be very, very happy with that. But they're taking on a team chasing a treble. City have the league wrapped up, obviously. It's done. It's over. They've got a Champions League final a week tomorrow against Inter Milan. They will be heavy favourites to win that. And the FA Cup is the third piece of that puzzle. They beat Chelsea 4-0. Then they beat Arsenal 1-0. They beat Bristol 3-0. They beat Burnley 6-0. And they beat Sheffield United 3-0. A more difficult run than United, I would say, because they beat Chelsea and Arsenal. But then they've played lower league teams in the remaining three games. So neither team really tested all that much along the way. Chelsea rolled over for them. They were awful at the time. They were awful all season. Arsenal was the one tough test they had. You would make City favourites going into this game. I think that's fair to say. It would be an upset if United were to win. But stranger things have happened. Now, going into this game, City have doubts over Akanji, Grealish, Ruben Diaz, and Kevin De Bruyne. United have their own set of injuries, though. No Donny van de Beek, no Lisandro Martinez, no Marcel Sabitzer. Anthony is a major doubt. Martial is out. Phil Jones is out, and he's leaving in the summer anyway. And obviously, Mason Greenwood isn't allowed to play because he's an unsavory character. I'm going to predict that City win because I think City are going to win the treble this year. We'll go 3-1 Man City. It would just be funny if it was 3-1 considering United went through the first four rounds of the competition winning 3-1. So we'll go 3-1 to Manchester City. It's not the only final taking place this weekend though. We do have the Scottish Cup final as well. That will feature Celtic Versus Inverness, Caledonian Thistle. Scottish Premiership Champions versus mid-table Scottish Championship side. Celtic are on for the domestic treble. They've already wrapped up the league and league cup. They beat Greenock Morton 5-0. They beat St Mirren 4-1. They beat Hearts 3-0. And then they beat Rangers 1-0 to land themselves in this final. Inverness... Beat Sterling Albion 3-2. Were awarded a 3-0 win over Queen's Park, who failed to fulfil the the fixture. Then they beat Livingston 3-0. Then they beat Kilmarnock 2-1. And then they beat Falkirk 3-0. Now, Falkirk are a League One side. I believe Livingston are a championship side. No, they're premiership side. What am I thinking? Of course they're premiership side. Um, They beat Sterling Albion as well. Kilmarnock is the big victory there. Kilmarnock's the really impressive win for them. So, while they're clearly... Huge underdogs going into this game. They have earned the right to be here. They have knocked off two top flight teams. Celtic are a different beast. It would be a shock if it was a close game. But Cali won't roll over on them. They're going to kick them up in the air a few times and it'll be up to Celtic to deal with that. Caledonian Thistle play decent football as well. They're not afraid to get it down and play it. So I think this is going to be a fun game. I do expect Celtic to win fairly comfortably, though. I'll go 4-0 to Celtic. I just don't see anybody in Scotland that can touch them. I think they're on a different level altogether. Uh, We also have the German Cup final this weekend, which is RB Leipzig versus Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, Leipzig 
beat Ottenson 8-0, beat Hamburg 4-0, Hoffenheim 3-1, Dortmund 2-0, and Freiburg 5-1 in the semi-final. Whereas Eintracht beat Magdeburg 4-0, Stuttgart kickers 2-0, Darmstadt 98-4-2, Union Berlin 2-0, and Stuttgart 3-2. Obviously, based on league form, Leipzig would be the strong favourites to win this game. They finished third. Eintracht finished seventh. But, but, Eintracht are a really good cup team. And Paul Glasner knows how to win finals. Last year, they went and they won the Europa League final. So I'm going to back Eintracht to win that. I'm going to back Eintracht to win. I'm going to say 2-1 Eintracht. I think Colo Moani goes out in a high with at least one goal. Would be a huge deal for Leipzig if they could win this. Obviously, they won it last year. They're looking to go back-to-back. They they had never won it before, obviously, because their history isn't all that deep. But if they could go go, go back-to-back, I think it would be a a big achievement for them. So I'll back Frankfurt, but I don't really mind who wins. We have the Portuguese Cup Final 2. It is Sporting Braga versus Porto. Braga beat Felgurish 1932. Uh, Moranens, Vitória de Gomeres, Benfica on penalties. And then they beat Nacional 7-2 over two legs, because for some reason... The Portuguese Cup has two-legged uh, semi-finals. Porto, on the other hand, they beat Anadia 6-0, Mafra 3-0, Aroca 4-0, Academico de Vesu 1-0, Familiqueau 2, uh, sorry, Familiqueau 5-2, uh, 5-3 on aggregate. Um, Porto will be strong favourites, but look, Braga finished third in the league. They've had a really good season. There was only seven points between them across the course of the league campaign. So not like there was a huge gulf. Now, Porto beat Braga 4-1 in the league match at the Dragão. But the last game between them ended 0-0. So Braga will go into the game believing they can win. And they have to go in believing they can win. They have to believe they can win. It's not been played at the most um, luxurious of stadiums, should be said. The National. It's more of a rugby ground these days than a football ground, but that's where it's been played anyway. So that's our cup finals for the weekend. You've got Portugal. You've got Germany. You've got Scotland. And you've got England. You've got some great entertainment, some great games to watch. Should be enough to get you through. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, it's just news and gossip, and we're going to be out of here quick today. Right, welcome back. So, we'll just go through some news, and we'll do the gossip, and we'll be done for the day. Um, Sam Allardyce has left Leeds United after four games in charge, four games in which he took one point, uh, makes it the shortest reign in Premier League history at 30 days, uh, beating Les Reed, who was 40 days in charge of Charlton. Uh, third on the list is Javi Gracia, who was 71 days in charge of Leeds United this season. So Leeds with two of the top three shortest ever tenures for a manager in the one season. That's a hell of an effort. A hell of an effort. Now, we should say, Frank De Boer's 77 days in charge of Palace is a little bit hokey because he wasn't in charge for much more than a month when after the season started. When did the 2016, sorry, 2017-18 season start? Let's see. Crystal Palace, 17... 18 because the board 77 days includes all the preseason. 
the season started on the 12th of August. And he was sacked on the 11th of September. So he lasted less than a month of games being played. That's uh, a fair effort by Frank DeBoer. Uh, you've got Bob Bradley at Swansea, Rene Newlandstein at Fulham, Kike Sanchez-Flores at Watford in one of his reigns there. And then Nathan Jones of Southampton uh, is the last name on this list at 94 days. But of course... There was a significant stoppage in the middle of the season for six weeks um, for the World Cup, which eats up quite a bit of that time. So, yeah, three of the nine shortest reigns in Premier League history this season, two of the top three at Leeds, uh, how not to run your football club. But if anyone has seen the article in The Athletic about how Leeds' owner was prepared to put... Ellen Road up as collateral against um, a loan to buy Sampdoria. That's a little bit of a strange story. Now, I don't think it's as untoward as some people are making out because Leeds don't own Ellen Road. So the loan against Ellen Road doesn't affect Leeds. It only affects the owner. He owns Ellen Road separately from the club because when he bought the club, the club didn't own the stadium. They'd sold the stadium like... I think, 04 or 05, to pay off some debts. They'd been paying rent, like a million quid a year, to play there. He bought the club. While they were in the championship, he didn't charge them rent. And then when they got promoted, he started charging them rent again, which is a little bit weird. But apparently he's locked in talks to sell leads to the York family that own the San Francisco 49ers, 49ers Enterprise. They own a minority share at the moment. They want to buy the job lot. Um, I don't know whether they're in talks to buy the stadium as well, but they didn't seem to know that he'd done this with the stadium. His plan seems to be anyway to sell Leeds by Southampton and I by uh, Sampdoria rather. And I assume with the money he would get from selling his shares at Leeds, he would pay back that loan, so he would come out of it. Owing, owning Sampdoria with no debt attached to it. Um, that would be my guess anyway. But yeah, yeah, Leeds need, need a new direction. That's uh, where we land there. Um, Champions League final. Simon Marciniak to remain as referee after speaking at an event organised by a Polish far-right leader. Um, I, I'm going to get myself in trouble if I comment on this because I have thoughts on this gentleman and uh, they're not very pleasant. Um, now, they're based on him as a referee, not as I... So I have no idea what his political views are and I, I genuinely don't care either. But, um, yeah, I, I, I have thoughts on him as a referee that aren't very, very kind. West Ham United players walk off the pitch after alleged racial abuse at a seven-a-side tournament... In America, the incident occurred in a game against Dallas United in the inaugural One Million The Soccer Tournament event. Crazy. West Ham player was racially abused. The players just walked off. Good for them. Good for them. Now, West Ham were losing at the time, but they walked off. They stood by them by themselves and stood by each other's each other there's no s in other um and uh, it appears like Dallas United have been asked to leave the tournament they've withdrawn but it was found that they did violate the code of conduct so yeah that's not not a pleasant thing to hear about in what should be a a showcase event uh, Phil Neville has been sacked as manager of Inter Miami in the MLS. Ten defeats in 13 games for Inter Miami this season. And David Beckham has said enough is enough. And he has sacked one of his best friends. Uh, they began the season with... A win over Montreal, then they beat Philadelphia, then they lost six in a row, 
It's actually 10 defeats in 15 games this season, but 10 in their last 13. They lost six in a row. Then they won three in a row, and now they've lost four in a row. Uh, they actually play tomorrow as well. They play DC United, and they've made the decision to move forward without Phil Neville. Uh, Phil Neville's had a rather strange managerial career. Um, he was given the opportunity to be a player coach at Valencia. Um, then, obviously, his brother went to become the manager and kept him on. That went spectacularly badly, and, you know, we know what happened there. Um, he was the caretaker coach, I think, of Salford a couple of times, a club that he owns himself. He was given the job as manager of England's women's national team, despite not having applied for the job or interviewed for the job. Um, didn't do much of, of anything really with them. And then got this into Miami job because he's best mates with Beckham. And in his two years there, two and a half years, 90 games, 35 wins, 13 draws, and 42 defeats. Not great when you consider they're one of the higher spending teams in MLS. They've been punished a couple of times for a little bit of cheating. But yeah, Phil Neville, not a good manager, it would seem. I could see him being a good coach. I just don't see him having the personality to be a manager. He's a bit of a wet blanket. Anthony Taylor, the PGMOL, has condemned the abuse directed at the Europa League final referee. Right, so let's get into this for a quick sec. The scene in the airport is disgusting. The man is there with his wife. You can't accost him the way you did. It's an absolute disgrace. Those fans should be ashamed of themselves. And it does stem from Mourinho and the comments he made and his actions. But I don't know that we can hold somebody accountable for the actions of others. We have this thing in all of sport, really, where we hold people up as if they're some sort of deity. Where anybody who decides to pursue a career in professional football as a player or a manager is expected to perform to this level of human perfection? I don't know. Like, we hold them up like they should be role models. We tell our young people, look at these people. We shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be doing that. Footballers aren't role models. Managers aren't role models. You should be the role model for your young person. Not somebody else. It's not Jose Mourinho's fault that a bunch of 30-somethings can't control themselves and have gone and done this. Now, he might have crossed the line. I think there's an argument that he did. But Taylor's performance in that final was a shambles. He was dreadful. He lost complete control of the game. He allowed Sevilla to throw themselves in the ground repeatedly. I just, I don't think he should be applauded for that performance. And I don't think we should forget that performance just because of what happened in the airport. Now, again, what happened in the airport was a disgrace and should not have happened. And that is one big issue that needs to be rectified. But his performance in that cup final is a big issue as well from a sporting point of view. He is a bad referee. We see him in the Premier League every week. He is a bad referee. So you can offer your full support to Anthony and his family, PGMOL, but you've got to take issue with the fact he is a bad referee. Anthony is one of our most experienced and accomplished match officials. He's dreadful. He is dreadful. 
and David Moyes has come out and he's tried to curry favour with referees. All referees have a really difficult job. You'll be the first one to cry if the referee against Fiorentina gives a big decision to them. Because that's what you do, David Moyes. See, David Moyes likes to play like he's a really good guy and he's held up by the British media like this saintly figure. David Moyes cries at referees far more than people like Jurgen Klopp. It's just that when Klopp does it, it's worthy of news. When Moyes does it, it's, oh, look at his passion. Look how much he cares. It's horseshit. And Anthony Taylor's a bad referee, and I think we should call him out as a bad referee. Yes, it's wrong that people accosted him when he was with his wife, but if he'd been by himself, I would have said fair game. I would have said fair game. The only issue there is that he's with his wife. And she shouldn't have to be dragged into it. But when you're a bad referee, you should be held responsible for it. You shouldn't be protected. You shouldn't be hidden away. I'm sick of referees being able to have utter stinkers and never having to face any questions about it. Or referees that like to make themselves the centre of attention. People don't pay their money to see you, bud. You're not the show. You're a non-playable character. You're not the main character. We'll finish up with the gossip. Inter Miami have offered Lionel Messi 50 million euros per year to spend four seasons in the MLS after he leaves Paris Saint-Germain. I will guarantee you that that is... 10 million a year in salary and 40 million a year equity in a future franchise. This is the Beckham deal because when Beckham went to LA Galaxy, his deal was advertised as 25 million a year, but it was 5 million a year in salary and 20 million a year in equity in a franchise, which would become into Miami. I I bet that's what it is. And I would bet that the franchise ends up being in Phoenix. I would nearly, I I bet significant money that that's where it ends up being. Uh, Former France forward Karim Benzema will join Saudi Arabian side El Itihad when his Real Madrid contract expires next month. Can I just say, I think Benzema is one of the best players we've ever had. I think he's arguably a top five player in the history of Real Madrid, which is an incredible achievement considering the players they've had. I saw a journalist call him an incredible human being. And I would just draw your attention to some of the legal issues that Benzema's had and some of his actions before we anoint him as an incredible human being. Uh, Croatia midfielder Luka Modric has told Real Madrid he intends to accept an offer of €120 million to play in Saudi Arabia for the next three seasons. Well, that's new. Newcastle are set to rival Manchester United for the signing of Victor Osterman. Um, No, they're just not. He's not. Well, maybe he is for sale, but Dillaronitis has said he's not for sale this summer. And given they've lost their manager, I think he's going to want to keep the team together. Manchester United are expected to make a formal approach for Mason Mount. Declan Rice would prefer to stay in the Premier League as he prepares to turn down a move to Bayern Munich. But he won't be turning it down because they haven't bid for him. They're just, they're just kicking the tyres and doing their due diligence. Arsenal and Manchester United are keen on the 24-year-old. I think he ends up at Arsenal. RB Leipzig could sell Josko Gvardiol for £86 million. Manchester City are interested in the 21-year-old who is a £98 million release clause Manchester City are close to finalising a deal for Mateo Kovacic Uh, this is from Football Insider so this is uh, Fraser Fletcher who's an absolute spoofer simply taking the Ornstein report that he has been granted permission to talk to them and just trying to get in there first Ange Postacoglu will be confirmed as Tottenham's boss next week Ange said, he's not even thinking about it, Fulham boss 
Marco Silva and former Spanish manager Luis Enrique are on the Tottenham shortlist alongside Pastor Cogwell. I think they end up with Enrique, but I think they've screwed the pooch a bit here. Nagelsmann was the one, if not him, Amram. We'll see. Manchester City's 29-year-old Portuguese defender, João Canseo, is unlikely to make his move to Bayern Munich permanent, although he does not want to stay in England. Um, I don't know where he's going to go then. He might go... He probably just will end up out on loan again next season. Maybe he goes back to Italy. He seemed to enjoy life there. Bayern will consider offers for both Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané this summer, as well as Sadio Mane. Um, I would still take Leroy Sané at Liverpool. Chelsea have turned in a £30 million bid from Brighton. I wonder what the reaction would be if they got offered 50 I think they might sell. I think they might sell for fifty. Inter Milan are pushing hard to sign Trevo Chalaba. He wants to stay though, so we'll see what happens there. Roma are open to selling Tammy Abraham. I talked about this yesterday, and just after it went out, ex West Ham United employee who's very well clued in there said that there'd been suggestion of Tammy Abraham for Gianluca Schumacher and Cash which is what I said could happen. I, I think that deal actually makes so much sense for both parties. Uh, Newcastle will compete with Aston Villa to sign Kieran Tierney. I just don't see Villa signing another left-back. Unless Luca Dina leaves, which is possible, Atalanta want €60 million Euro this summer in order to part with 20-year-old Denmark striker Rasmus Hoisland. Very talented. Very, very talented. United wouldn't be a great move from though because there'd be a lot of expectation and I don't know that he'll adapt straight away, but he's very, very talented. Wolves have joined West Ham, Newcastle, and Aston Villa in wanting James or Price. I think this is his agent working double time because he's not very good. Barcelona want to sell Ansu Fati, but he is against the move to Wolves in exchange for Ruben Neves and 30 million. So Wolves would give Ruben Neves and 30 million. Is that what that suggestion is? I don't see that happening. Wolves don't have any money. Napoli are ready to compete with AC Milan for Fowler and Balogun. No, they're not. This And the best part is, this is a report from the Mirror. John Cross. John Cross doesn't know his arse from his elbow. Years ago, like 10 years ago, someone did a deep dive into transfer rumours by John Cross over the previous three years, and none of them had come up. None of them had happened. He just makes stuff up. Spain forward Marco Asensio has decided to join Paris Saint-Germain when his Real Madrid contract expires. Semi-retirement it is for Marco Asensio. That will do me for today, folks. I will see you all on Wednesday. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.